Lord, thank you for your word. We pray you bless your word, God. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for bringing us here. God, it is our desire, Lord, to know you better in a deeper way. And we are waiting here for you, God. Waiting to hear from you and for your spirit to speak. So speak, Lord. Our ears are attentive. Our heart is open. Ready to receive all that you want to say to us. And may we receive it, God, with humbleness, with glad hearts and embracing it all, Lord, so that we may live for you more. And we thank you, bless and anoint this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about how someone was complaining that he stopped going to church and he never wanted to go back because the church is full of hypocrites. Well, his friend replied, well, there's always room for one more. The thing is, the church is not perfect, right? The body of Christ, the people who are in church, we're we're not perfect. None of us are perfect, so as a body, as a church, we're not perfect. We're not perfectly uh, sinless or holy and and godly. I mean, we try to, and that's our goal, and as God works in our lives, we, we continue to grow and get better. The thing is, too, in the Bible, it shows that people aren't perfect. Even great saints in the Old Testament like David or, or Solomon or even Moses had his time too where he was not perfect. And the Bible is pretty forward on this. It's, uh, it shows all of that painful, ugly truth up front. You know, I was thinking about how many in the church speak um, um, or many talk today of how the church today should get back to what the first church was about. The church of Acts, the early church. And I agree. But I also agree it should be without all its faults. I mean, if you think about it, in the epistles, Paul was writing to the churches. And many times, because there's a lot of false teaching going through the churches and, and teachers coming in with false doctrine. It wasn't perfect. In the book of Philippians, there's division going on in the church of Philippi there. And right here in the book of Acts, we are actually see problems within the church. Like there's racial tension. Can you believe that? Between the Jews and the Gentiles. Or there's conflict in, in the leadership over circumcision. We're going to be looking at those things as we study this book. Or remember Paul and Barnabas, if you read the book of Acts before, they part ways over a disagreement over Mark. And even what we're going to see tonight, we see hypocrisy that's in the early church. So just as it is today, the early church wasn't perfect either. Now tonight in our study in the book of Acts, there is good though. There is a lot of good that we find here we could glean from. And we're going to see that tonight. But we're also going to see the first incident of sin in the early church. And so all of this is what we're going to see. The sin, the consequences, but the good stuff too. So I titled our message tonight, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I was going to try and whistle that um, movie thing. I was practicing it. Yeah, they're, wah, 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 wah. yeah, if you're old enough, you know that movie. But I thought it was very appropriate to what we're going to see. And, and really, those are the three things we're going to see, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 4 from verse 32 through the end. And they're going to cross over to chapter 5 and go from verse 1 through 11. That's why it's posted on the screen, Acts 4, 32, 32-5. 11. We're going to go all the way into the next chapter. So again, we're going to see three things, and this is our outline. Number one, the good, um, which is the good is the sharing part, and we're going to see that. Number two, the bad. The bad is the sinning part, really. And number three, the ugly is the smiting, the consequences that come because of the sin. All right, well, let, let's begin here now with number one, the good. The good is the sharing. And this is what we're going to see with the early church. This is the good part. And we're going to cover uh, Acts chapter 4 from verse 32 through 37 in this section. But let's start with this first verse, verse 32 for tonight. It reads here, Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart 
and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. We'll pause right here. Now we begin here. Once again, Luke is the writer of this book. He, he's reporting and he's recording what's been going on. He says, now you guys, here we go. Here's a new thought. Here, here's a new section as we come into this part. Now the full number of those who believe. Now, in other words, the, all the believers, everyone who believed were of, of one heart and one soul. But he's saying this full number. And I was thinking, well, what is that full number? Well, we know way back in Acts chapter 4, remember the apostles and the other believers in the upper room, there was 120 people there. And then Pentecost came. The, the Holy Spirit came upon that room 120. They started speaking in tongues. Remember, Peter preached. And do you remember how many in Acts 2.41 got saved? 3,000. Then the second time Peter preached after the healing of the layman in, in, in chapter 3 of Acts, in chapter 4, verse 4, it says that there were 5,000 who believed in Christ. So I put together 8,120 people were together. But I'm sure there was more. Some commentators even say that, well, that was just counting the men. There was probably women and children also. So maybe there was 10,000. I don't know, maybe there was 12,000. One commentator even said that there was 15,000 believers at this moment. But still, there was thousands and thousands of believers. And we find here this full number of those who believe, and can you believe it, were of one heart and soul. That's talking about being one-minded, one together. We know that the Bible tells us it's the Holy Spirit which unites us. Even though we're different people, uh, even though we have our opinions and thoughts, we grew up a certain way, uh, we all come together under Christ and the Holy Spirit unites us into this one body of Christ. So these guys were one heart. They had the same heart, the same passion. They were one soul in the sense of their emotions and, and, and their being and their mind and everything that they did. I kind of think about they were like what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.27. He said "Stand that they are to be standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and that's what these guys were in one heart one soul about they're all for jesus and for people getting saved so think of it this way the body of believers were working together in love connected in unity of the spirit and they were sharing jesus christ and this unity brought about this sharing. That's what we see in verse 32. It says, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. It was like they, they, they weren't selfish about it, about their own things. That's what that means. They weren't like just holding, well, this is mine, you cannot touch it. They weren't like a toddler saying, mine, mine, stay away, you know, don't touch it. No, they're like, you know what? It, it, it's not mine. I'm willing to share it. That was the idea. Everything was in common. They're willing to share their things. They're willing to, we'll see, even sell things in order to give the money to support the needs of the church and others who are in need. So they were ready to help. That was really the heart here. That was this one heart, one soul the unity. They loved each other and cared for each other so much that they're willing to sell things, to give up things, to help each other in that way. So with this first church, this is the idea. God formed this community. That's what's going on here. This family, so to speak. And they're in this together. They're furthering the kingdom together. I was thinking about this, you know, in our own families, like um, as our kids were growing up and, you know, um, as they got older, I remember, you know, Jared would fix his skateboard and grab my tools or, or you know, he grabbed some paint and painted. it. But it was like, oh, yeah, sure. I bought it. I, I, it was mine because I bought it. it you know, it, it, it was something we had around and we had there. And, and so it was okay, you know, that Jared, it was the family thing that we helped each other in that way. And I get a smile when I hear and I see some Texas text and stuff where uh, now that our kids are adults, 
they're like helping each other. They're like doing this family thing also. They're like there for each other. And it's cool to see as adults to see that. And they even help the parents too, <laughs> which is nice. But, but do you understand? That's that family, right? Your family, you kind of, oh, share. You're there for them. You do extra, you know, more than a stranger or even more than a friend. Well, this is the idea here. The first church, God formed this community, this family. And that's the whole feel that's going on where everything was in common. They were one heart and soul together. So you can imagine how powerful the 8,000 plus or so people were in this whole one unity mindset and heart and passion. All right. So verse 33, it goes on to say, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So Luke goes on to tell that here's the ministry going on with great power by the Holy Spirit, right? But then being filled with the Holy Spirit, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I like about this, it reminds me of when Peter and John, remember, they healed the lame man, and the people ran around, and Peter's like, look, it's not us. It's Jesus. Jesus did this. He was healed by the name of Jesus. In other words, he's alive. He's resurrected. Yeah, the one you guys took party and said crucified, died, but you know what? He's alive, and he's the one doing this work. So I can imagine what Luke is talking about is that through the power of the Spirit, there's miracles going on, there's healings going on, and then they were testifying that, guess what? This is Jesus who's doing this. You thought he died on a cross, but he actually rose again from the dead. And he is Lord God. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He came to save us so you can be saved too. So that was that testimony, the gospel that they're giving. And so they were able to minister and share the gospel and evangelize. And I like this at the end of verse 33. It says, and great grace was upon them all. That's another way of saying that they were blessed. The church was blessed. The body of believers were totally blessed. God's grace was upon them. His favor was upon them. And so God was blessing them in the ministry. Blessing, I believe it means like people were coming to the Lord. The ministry uh, was being blessed in that way. The kingdom was being furthered. And the needs were being met. So God was blessing that church. God's great grace was upon them all. And I was thinking that, you know, when you have like a body of believers who are one heart, one soul, they're united in Christ, right? And they're caring for one another in that way. And together they are out to share Jesus Christ. When you have that love for one another, the unity in the body and a zeal for the lost, God's going to bless that. They're going to be a very powerful force here. Well, it goes on here in verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So as Luke goes on here in verse 34, 35, he's saying, okay, this is how the ministry was supported. This is how the apostles were able to go out and minister. This is how the people were able to gather together and survive. I'm sure they were, remember back then it was hard anyway. It, um, the average person had a pretty hard life. It was, they were poor. And you can imagine maybe some people stayed after the the holiday of Pentecost, after they got saved. Maybe some people lost their jobs for being uh, coming to Christ in that way. So people were in need. So they, they were supporting one another in this way. They, this was how the church was being supported. And here, for example, they're saying some people uh, would actually, um, owners of lands and houses sold them and they brought those proceeds to the apostles' feet, meaning they brought the money from the sale of say property or the house and they brought it to the apostles so they would distribute to the needy to to the poor as whoever in need, uh, is in need so in a pure sense you can say that these guys gave to god in a pure sense 
they gave to God when they gave, and they trusted, if you notice here, the apostles to distribute it. They trusted God to lead the leaders to distribute these funds. And I, I like that. It wasn't like, well, I'll only give if I could determine its, its destiny. Um, it, 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 it wasn't like that. Um, it wasn't like, well, I'll give my money like I'm going to buy something with it. You know, they just gave it to God. That's it. They gave it to the church, meaning they gave it to God, trusting in, in, the, in God to lead the apostles here. The only thing really, and that's biblical, because the only thing that God really requires of us in Second Corinthians 9, 7, you could look later, is that we decide really to give from our heart, that we would give our our tithes, so to speak, or our offering to God, our monies, with our heart. That's all God really wants. And as we give to the church with our heart, and we want to do that, then we are what you call in Second Corinthians 9, 7, the cheerful giver. So we see that going on with the, the church here. And understand another thing here. We don't see anything where Peter demanded this. Peter wasn't out, well, you... You don't own anything. You, you got to sell everything. It belongs to the church. It, it, it wasn't that. You must sell and give, give it to the church. No, it wasn't that. What was going on was this unity, this love, this oneness, where people out of their heart showing love to God was giving in that manner to, so that others could be helped, so that the church can be supported, that ministry could, could go on with the apostles continuing to witness Jesus Christ. And also, it doesn't say that every person was required to sell everything and live in this commune. No, people still had their houses. Some people still had their places. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts. They had their property. It really just focuses in on this willingness to sell things to support each other or the ministry because of love. Because of this unity. It was a willingness to have less. It's okay to help out. It was really this heart of, it's not about me or living lavishly. It was was about the needs of others. It was really, they had this right view of possessions, if you think about it, right? They were good stewards of what God had given them. If you think about everything we have is the Lord's anyway. I mean, it's not really ours. It's, it's God's. Yeah, well, God, I'm going to give you my 10%. Well, no, it, it's really his. And we've got to be open to the Lord. Well, is it more than that? God, you want me to give more? You want me to give something else? You want me to offer something else? You want me to sell something and give that? Maybe it's, it's that. That's what these guys were doing. And I think they're being very good stewards and had that thought that, you know, we don't really own anything. God owns everything. And so, God, just tell me what to do with it. And so they were they felt led, led by God and they're willing to liquidate to supply for the needs. Then we see in verse 36 and 37, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's Joseph. Luke is saying, look, here's an example of someone who really gave. He actually sold his property. This guy named Joseph, otherwise known as, a.k.a. Barnabas. Now, he's a major player in the book of Acts. And we're going to see more of about him. So Luke introduces him here. This is, this is where he is at. He's there at the beginning. He's at the early church. And, and, and look, look at him. Already the apostles see something in him, which Barnabas means a son of encouragement. So uh, the apostles saw this heart in him, and they said, you're Barnabas. You're Barney. I was thinking, wait, when I hear Barney, the first thing I think about is the dinosaur, the purple dinosaur, right? Yeah, or maybe Barney Rubble. No, but back then Barnabas is 
encouragement. So they named him because he's so encouraging to people. He had this life of Christ in him and came out in that way. So they're like Barnabas. And we're going to see more about him in the book of Acts. But this is where he's first mentioned. Whoa, Joseph is actually his name. That's a good trivia, like Bible trivia. You know, um, what was Barnabas' real name? (laughs) Right? Remember that one. Joseph here. And notice also, he is a Levite. In other words, he comes from the family of Levites, the priests, right? The ones who minister in the temple. And a native, where, he, where did he live? In Cyprus, which is uh, like the third largest island in the Mediterranean. So this is Barnabas. This is who this guy is, uh, the encouragement. He's a Levite. He, he's from Cyprus. Well, what did he do? He sold a field this property that belonged to him. Perhaps he has a place, but he sold the field part, right? Perhaps he, he, it, it was a portion of that land or something he owned. But either way, it could have been all that he owned and, and he sold it. He sold that field that belonged to him. And what did he do? He brought the money to the apostles' feet. In other words, he brought the church as an offering and let them do whatever uh, the Lord led them to do. So, What's interesting, I was reading, is that if Barnabas was a Levite, it could be, as a priest, uh, what he sold probably was a pretty good sacrifice because priests don't make a lot of money. And for him to have some land, which later they they were acquiring land during the time of Jesus, uh, he must have scrimped and saved for this land, this property. But he was willing to give that up. He was willing to sell it and then take that money and give it to the Lord. So perhaps now Barnabas took his like lifetime investment and just gave it over to the Lord. And I think that's the heart of what was going on. I think when people are selling their houses and property to give to the church, it was a sacrifice. It was an overflow. Yeah, it wasn't, well, I got an extra house here. No, they, they were willing to give as God led them. So these people were really uh, sacrificing by selling and giving in that way. And isn't that the way our offerings should be to the Lord anyway? Uh, I think about David, what David said in Second Samuel 24, verse 24. But the king, which is David, said to Aronah, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Do you remember what's going on is there was that uh, uh, plague because David sinned. Uh, taking a census of the people and so judgment fell and then uh, God told him to go here and, and, and make an offering to him, a sacrifice to him. And so he went there, but he wanted to buy the land. Now, um, it's the uh, property of Ornan, but um, Aronoth was like, no, no, I'll give it to you. You don't have to buy it. Gosh, king, you're the king, David. No, it's my heart. And David's like, no, I'm going to pay for it because I, I want to, I'm not going to offer any offering to the Lord that costs me nothing. That's the sacrifice that he made. You know what's interesting? This very place that David purchased and, and made the sacrifice to stop the plague is actually where the temple is located later. So it was God starting this, you know, getting this area set up for where the temple would be built. So, That's the idea for me, that they were sharing, but they're sharing sacrificially. So the early church, we see, this is the good. The good is the sharing that was going on, and the sharing was sacrificially done. And and that's what I uh, what we got to take in on this that that there's that oneness this unity this love going on and people are just giving they're just giving of their heart but it was even sacrificially that they were giving and i think when we look at even that how they were selling and giving the money i mean it, it's evidence that something was going on in our heart cuz most of us aren't very um uh we don't easily give out our money, you know. We, most of us, we, we kind of hold on to that. Uh, Martin Luther once said, there are 
three conversions necessary to eternal life. The conversion of the heart, the mind, and the purse, or the wallet. <laughs> I like that. I was, I was reading, um, uh, someone else was talking about someone getting baptized, and they were holding, holding their wallet out of the water. Like They don't want to let go of that, you know. But you know there's a real change in your life when you're willing to sacrifice and give it all, even your money. So you can tell the depth of a person's love for Jesus by what they sacrifice financially. And that's what we see here. So this is the good. We're going to see the bad and the ugly, but the good is the sharing sacrificially that was going on. All right, let's go to number two now, the bad. We, we take a turn uh, and see the bad, and the bad is the sinning that's going to go on. And here we're going to cross over to chapter 5 now. And in this section, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Uh, let's read that right now, those f- first four verses in chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. All right, as we come into chapter 5, and the reason why I put uh, this together is this is a contrast to Barnabas. Barnabas sold, brought it. You know, brought all the money to the apostles' feet. Well, you can see here, something fishy was going on. And that's what really this account is talking to us. So in contrast to Barnabas, we see Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Now, they also sold a piece of property. They went ahead and sold that. And I like verse 2, and with his wife's knowledge. So, The wife isn't innocent here. She knew what was going on. They both agreed on this, that Ananias kept back for himself some of the proceeds and only brought part of it to the apostles' feet. Uh, um, He, or gave to the church. He basically, what was going on is he sold it for X amount, but he kept part of that, the money that he got for it, and brought everything. Every, the rest of it to the church to give t- as an offering. So at first you might think, well, wh- what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong is that you notice in our passage that uh, Peter is saying, oh, you, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And even later in verse 4, you lied not to man, but to God. And oh, take note, notice God, the Holy Spirit there. God, the person, you can lie to this person. So anyway, what's going on is that they said, well, we sold the property for X amount. But actually, they sold it for more of that because they were keeping a portion of that, maybe half, I don't know. But they were, they were keeping back some for themselves, some of the proceeds of the money they got for selling the property. So that's the picture here. That's what's going on. So Peter now, I believe, he gets a word of knowledge. Uh, The Holy Spirit tells him what's going on. So here's Ananias. Sapphira's not there yet. She'll come in later in the story. But he comes and, here it is. I sold my property. Look, look, I'm giving this to you guys, right? But then Peter, he knows what's going on. He could see through it because of God, because of the Holy Spirit. So Peter's like in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land. Now, this is interesting because the way Peter says, okay, uh, why did you um, lie to the Holy Spirit? Like, I know you kept back some of it. So you know what's going on is he's, 
he's putting out this outward appearance, right? That I gave, I'm giving all this money from the land that I sold. But it's not really. It's not really everything that they did. So what this is, is really the sin of hypocrisy. That's what's going on. He's being hypocritical. He's saying I, in the outward, I gave all of this. But actually, inside, that's not what's going on. It's different from what he's saying. Now, I know it's, uh, you're probably wondering, what is this Satan uh, filled your heart? Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Now, does that mean he got possessed there? Well, I don't think that's what Peter is saying. Um, many of the commentators believe that Ananias and Sapphira, they probably are believers. And if you're a believer, you know, there's no way uh, dark can come into lightness, light if the Holy Spirit is in here. Um, greater is he who is in, the, uh, great in you than he who is in the world, you know, than Satan is in the world. So there's no way Satan can overtake God or the Holy Spirit in them. So most likely what this means is that Peter's saying you've been like satanically inspired here. You've been like influenced by Satan to do this thing. Why are you doing that? Why, why are you doing what basically Satan wanted, wants to do? You see, right before this chapter, right, Barnabas was recognized when he gave that property. Luke is writing about, wow, you know, look, he, he sold his field, probably was a lot. And so it could be that Ananias and Sapphira saw people doing that and thought, hey, I want to have that spiritual status too. Wow. You know, I want to be up there too. And, and I, maybe the apostles will give me a nickname too, you know. I want to be known for something. And so their plan was, oh, yeah, we, we'll, we'll sell the property, you know. And, and yeah, we'll take the money. But, but I want to, we want to keep some money for our own, our own gain. And so they pretend that um, they gave it all to gain nor, 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 uh, notoriety, right? So you see, this is the sin of hypocrisy. They put a false cover on what was really going on underneath. I think they thought, well, this is win-win. Yeah? We can have some money for ourselves. We can, we can rise up you know, in status in the church and all. But you cannot lie to the Holy Spirit. It only exposes their envy, their jealousy, their desire for praise from men. It was so fleshly, you know, in this way. And that made me think about, isn't that the way Satan is, right? His downfall was his pride. Oh, I want everyone to worship me, to look at me. And so I could see why Peter's like, why are you so filled with sin? This, this is like his attitude. This is what he's after. The thing is, when you live a deceitful life, you open the door to Satan. You do. To be influenced by him, to actually do his will, because that's what he wants. He wants all of that. So here we see in the early church the bad. The bad is the sinning, the sinning in hypocrisy. And this is the first sin in the church. And it was brought in by these guys, Ananias and Sapphira. John MacArthur said, they were corrupt, talking about Ananias and Sapphira. They were money hungry. They were glory seekers. They were liars. They were hypocrites. And I like this part. It was, it's pretty heavy. He said, and that's enough soil for Satan to plant himself. I thought, wow, that's true. When we're given over to fleshly desires like that, like seeking our own glory or greedy for, for money, uh, deceiving people, lying, uh, being hypocritical in that way, wow, what a way to put that. That's enough soil for Satan to plant himself. So no wonder P Peter's here saying, why does Satan fill your heart? Satan was planted there from what they uh, had allowed. Are you allowing 
maybe some of these things to go unchecked. Money-hungry, glory-seeking, deceiving, lying, manipulating. Do you understand that? That's not of the Holy Spirit. That's of the flesh. That's not walking in God's will. It's not trusting God. It's just feeding your own desires and lusts. It's not walking in the Spirit. It's walking in the flesh. It's not doing God's bidding and will. It's, it's doing Satan's, really. Really, you're, you're, you're accomplishing what Satan would want. And it's only going to bring destruction, as we'll see. Isn't it interesting that this happens in the church? And this is the bad. The bad is the sinning and hypocrisy that came in the church that they brought into the church. And you know what? That's one way Satan gets into the church. That's how he gets in to ruin a church with hypocrisy. I was thinking how we have to be careful of ourselves. That we don't just come church, put on a show, but we're real with, with each other. We're real with Jesus. That we don't come because, well, we do something or, or it's a, a ritual or someone wants us, come, wants us to come, but, but we're, we're real in this. I was thinking of how, you know, today, don't we live in an age where um, you get less than you used to get? You know, the packaging looks the same. But inside, there's less things, less cereal, less laundry soap, less, or chips, right? You know, it's like, whoa, the big bag, yeah, what? Oh, for four forty nine, Food Land, wow, it's big. And then you feel it, it's only like this full, right? It's like, what? You know, five bucks for that? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm hungry anyway, I want it. But, right? But we, it's like that. But you know what? Same for some people in the church. Some people come, they can wrap themselves up in the same packaging. They can look like a dedicated believer, but they're really less than what they appear to be. Let's not be like that. Let's be real. That's what these guys was. So we see the bad here, the sinning in hypocrisy. So we've seen the good. The sharing sacrificially. The bad, the sinning and hypocrisy. Let's go to our third heading. The ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly is the smiting. And here we're going to see the rest of our passage here. Verse 5 through 11 of chapter 5 in Acts. First of all, take a look at verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. What a crazy story. Could you imagine that happening in church? Could you imagine we're here a Sunday morning and all of a sudden God gives a word and all of a sudden, and the, you know, exposes and then they just die right there? This, this is like nuts. It's crazy. Some commentators say, well, perhaps it was the shock of that truth you know, that he had a heart attack and died. But it was all, all, all the Lord. It was God's judgment that, that fell upon this place. I mean, verse 5, great fear came upon all who heard it. You know, they're like, whoa, I would be fearful too. And fear and not just rever- rever- reverential fear, but like, whoa, it, this is serious. This is really serious. So the guys came, wrapped them up, and and they went bury him right away. I, I, I think in, in a culture, they just, I guess maybe it was hot during that time or something, but they went to bury. But either way, they, he, he was on his way to be buried or if not buried already. You see, this is the first sin in the early church. And God was serious. We don't, we don't see that today, you know, but as... We've been seeing in, in different places, even in Acts, I've been referencing, you know, like the rushing wind and the tongues of fire. I mean, this was a huge moment when the Holy Spirit first came in the lives of people, like um, Mount Sinai when the law was given. You know, this was a huge deal. It was like the first sin that had come into the church. Everything was so good, but here comes the bad, here comes the sin. And so God really needed to make 
a statement here. So uh, this had to happen. This judgment had to happen. I mean, it, we read about it also in um, Corinthians, don't we? Like 1 Corinthians 11, Paul was saying, hey, some of you guys in the Corinthian church, you guys are, are sick. Matter of fact, some of you are even dying. What was he saying? Because they were partaking in communion in a, a quote, unworthy manner, unquote. Remember, they, they were coming in to the agape feast and they were, they were drinking. They are making it like this big party. It was an excuse to get drunk and just have a party and have a good time. When it was supposed to be communion was this, this serious time, this time to memorialize Christ, to honor him. It was a holy moment that I say many times that it, it, partaking communion is. For them, it was an excuse, just to party, yeah, communion time. So God was being serious with them when many people were getting sick. That's what Paul was saying. Many of, some of you have even died, he said. And so in this first incident of sin, there were severe consequences. Well, the story goes on, verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife now came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for, for, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Crazy. So the same thing happens to her. Peter confronts her, uh, saying the Holy Spirit, you know, giving him this picture already with Ananias. So did you sell it for this price? Yeah, they're lying, right? No, it was much more. They kept a portion back. It's like, why are you testing the Spirit? In other words, why are you conspiring together to go against God like you can hide it from God? And she died also right then and there, no matter how great fear. Real serious, seriousness came upon the congregation. Now, I want you to know something that, that Peter says something interesting if you want to go back to verse 4. He said, um, Hey, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? In other words, you didn't have to sell this. It was yours. You know, it, it wasn't like it was required as voluntary you know, while it remained unsold, it, it was yours. It was, you know, you didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to do anything. And then he said, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, once it was sold for X amount, you know what? Yeah, you could you could have given it to whoever or however or however much. They could have given half. They just needed to say, oh, well, we're giving half of what we sold to God. That's what Peter's saying. So understand what's going on here isn't everyone was not forced to do this. It was voluntary. Yeah? And even if you sold, you could keep a portion. Nothing wrong with that. It was the fact that they lied. And hypocritically, they wanted to get that glory from everyone. Like, hey, look, we sold it for this much when they really um, uh, kept part of it. So uh, that, that's this issue going on. And just understand that Peter's like, hey, what? you could have just said you, you gave half. Why are you, why are you guys lying here? And in the same way with the wife. All right, so here in the early church, we see the ugly. The ugly is the smiting in the consequences here. The, the judgment that fell. The smiting of God. They've been smitten, you can say. You remember when the Syrian general Naaman was healed of leprosy? You remember that? He tried to come back and give Elisha gifts because Elisha said, hey, go wash in the Jordan. Well, I don't want to. That's a filthy river. And someone talked to him. No, but if the man of God says you better do it. Okay. He did. He got healed of leprosy. Back then, there was no cure for that. God did a miracle. 
And so he comes back to give Elisha gifts, but Elisha's like, no, I don't need it. It's fine. No, I don't want it. So he refused. So Naaman, the Syrian general, leaves. Well, after he left, remember Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, went after the general without telling Elisha, went and met him on the road and and told him, hey, you know my master, Elisha, uh, two visitors came and, and we want to treat them. So, you know, we like to take the gifts after all. And Naaman's like, oh, yeah, no, no worry here. Matter of fact, take double, take more. Here's Gehazi coming back with the goods, right? Because he wanted it, right? He was greedy for it. When he got back, there's Elisha waiting. He goes, where have you been? Gehazi's like, oh, nowhere. Sounds like our kids. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what? Nothing, right? I'm not doing nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> you know? Well, Elisha said, tells him then, I was there in the spirit when you received those gifts from Naaman. In other words, I saw everything. I know what's going on. It was like with Peter. He, you know, he had this word of knowledge. And the consequences, do you remember what the consequences were? He was smitten with leprosy. Elisha said, you and your descendants will suffer Naaman's leprosy forever. He was smitten with that consequence. It's important, you guys, we be real, be honest. Even if we fail, even if, if, if we, we've been hypocritical, understand this tonight, that God loves you. And if anything, this 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 passage is speaking to us to stop being hypocritical, to be real. Don't put on a show. Don't don't give in to the flesh. Be the person that Christ wants you to be and walk in the Spirit. God loves you. God wants to forgive you, accept you. It's just when we hypocritically try to hide it and we put on a show and and we, we're intentional in doing this, that it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. In Stock, a Stockholm man, Henrik Ismarker, made a whole stink about how many cars were speeding down the street and everything. And he actually called the police. Well, the next day, guess what? The police caught him speeding in his own neighborhood street. And there was the very police that came because he had called. Isn't that crazy? The consequences of being a hypocrite is you will be caught. You will get caught. It will be exposed. So tonight, as we close, the good. The good part of what was going on in early church is the sharing sacrificially that was going on. And that's something we can learn. The bad, well, was the sinning and hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. And how Satan can get into the church in that way. So we, we don't want to be used as a tool of Satan. And the ugly is the smiting of the consequences of the judgment that can come. I don't know about you, but I want to stay in that good area, <laughs> in the good category. I, I, I want to mean what I say. I mean, you guys, when we sing songs, we want to mean it. We don't just want, we, we don't want to just, oh, I like to hear ourselves sing. Some of you, I don't like to hear you sing. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. But, but you know what I'm saying. It's not just this, oh, campfire, sing-along thing. No, we're going before our, our holy God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the King, the creator of the universe. So when we sing, I surrender, I surrender all, we need to mean it. We need to do that. I want my life, I'll tell you what, not to be a tool of Satan. I don't want that. I want to be a servant of God. I want to be a servant of God in everything I do. So, who are you tonight? Who are you? Do people, how, how do others see you? I mean, what do they really see? I'll close with this. This usher told another usher, we have nothing but good kind Christians in this church until you try to seat them somewhere, somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs>
Isn't that funny how crazy we get? That's my chair, you know, that's my spot kind of thing, right? Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly is in the church. But I want to be in that good section. Let's pray. Lord, as we close out tonight, God, I just want to spend a moment to pray and to ask for your forgiveness, God. Lord, I want to echo the hearts of anyone in this room or connected online that, God, uh, we've been hypocritical. We've been sinning. We've been even used by the enemy, by our sin, to try and ruin the church. But Lord, thank you that you are greater than Satan. And this passage is here in the Bible to help us as believers to grow and not be like an Ananias or Sapphira. Not to live and sin hypocritically, God, but to to be real. To really give you our hearts, Lord. To 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 not do things for show, but because we really do love you, Lord. To not do it for the glory of of others to get them to praise us, but God, we want you to be glorified. You are to be the center of attention. You are the one to be lifted up. Not me. Not any person, but you, Jesus. And Lord, help us now as believers in this church and or whatever church you go to, whatever your home church is, be involved. Be a part of it. When the church gets together, get together. When there's needs, give. Help out. Serve. Lord, I pray that our church and our body here would would love one another, would be united, would have one heart and one soul, would have care and compassion and not bickering, not judging each other, not putting expectations on one another. But Lord, that we would truly be compassionate, Lord, for one another. That we would have not our eye on the sin of each other, but on the sin of the world that needs re- saving God. The sins of the lost who need forgiveness and redemption. Lord, let us all gather under that banner, a banner of love, Lord. Let us gather under you in the mission to further your kingdom. And God, I know when we do that, you will bless. And I pray for that. I pray that you burn that in our hearts and, and, and we would have this re- kind of resolve and, and it would motivate us and it would move us, God, to keep moving forward, to keep loving, to keep gathering together, to stay united, Lord. God, make us one, Lord. Make us one in you, one in heart, soul, one in this mission to bring Jesus to others, laying ourselves down, putting ourselves last, God, dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, picking up the cross and following you. Let that be, God, our mission. In Jesus' name, amen.